Well, hello and welcome back to Jim and Ben's Movie Adventures. Now with updated graphics. And uh, as you can see, uh, we are diving in to a fantastic gem of a film from 1998, Michael Bay's Armageddon. Now, Ben, I hit you with this, that we were going to look at Armageddon uh, at the end of uh, the last podcast where we looked at Gremlins. How, what went through your mind when you were like, Tim's, Tim's going to make me watch Armageddon? Uh, it was, first of all, I love Elijah Wood. Second of <laughs> all, wrong asteroid movie. Um, and third of all, like, I remember liking that movie. I thought it was pretty cool. And, and uh, of, all the, of all the Michael Bay movies you could have picked, uh, it was it was probably one of the better ones. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually think it holds together remarkably well for a Michael Bay film. Um, and that qualifier at the end is really important for a Michael It's important. <laughs> it's real important. I but, have words. So let's hear some. So look, I'm, I'm intimately familiar with Armageddon, but we do want to get your thoughts. So in case uh, our viewers slash listeners are unfamiliar, the basic premise of Armageddon is that there is an asteroid the size of Texas, which is hurtling- oh, Sorry, that's very key. <laughs> the size of Texas. Which is hurtling towards the Earth. And uh, NASA, you know, uh, uncovers it uh, in conjunction with the U.S. Air Force. And the only option, the only option that they have is to train a uh, group of oil rig drillers uh, for 18 days and turn them into astronauts in order to send them up to uh, the surface of this asteroid where they will land two space shuttles and drill into the asteroid before detonating a thermonuclear warhead and breaking the asteroid apart, thus saving the entire planet. And no, it's not a comedy. Uh, so <laughs> oh, it tries to be. Look, it's got comedy in it. Uh, but it's it's not you know a, a parody comedy type film. No, no, so, no. It's not a farce. No, it's not a farce. So look, all that said, how long had it been, Ben, since you'd seen Armageddon? I think on the last podcast I said like a good fifteen years. That might have been generous. <laughs> like I I might have caught like bits and pieces of it in passing on TV or something like that. But the, watching the whole film, it, it's probably been. A lot longer than 15 years almost nice like because there are parts of this movie i did not remember at all <laughs> like like wow uh like oof. and um people pick on padme and anakin's love story i don't know if it's as bad as the one in this one. Oh, so. that is a big call sir like you know um look the animal cracker romance uh, on the grassy knoll, um, you know, that's it's timeless. Uh, it's without time. No one has ever done it before, and I don't think anyone will ever do it again. Uh, Reasons. <laughs> but look, so what, what, what still stood out to you about the film? Like, let's, let's talk... You know, before we get into stuff that, that may have been dodgy, uh, you know, or may have not held up so well, what were your thoughts on it, uh, you know, as a, a technical bit of cinema from 1998, mind you? I, I wrote down a few little keywords. Um, the first of all, I wrote, asteroid's pretty cool. Like, the, on the asteroid stuff, for then, 
Like there's a there's like a obviously a practical set around them, and then they've used green screen and other effects, but not as much as they could now. Um, very impressive. I I liked how much they used steam bursting out of the ground. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of steam uh, on on asteroids in space. Um, I, look on and, that, and I, then would... I just wrote, and then I just wrote science with a question mark. Well, and this is the thing. So look, the asteroid design is super cool, and you know yeah. the thing the thing about this movie, the thing about Armageddon is Armageddon, in my opinion, looks like it was shot about a decade after it was actually shot, you know? Um, yeah. In terms of visual style, this movie is just super ahead of its time. It's got, um, I believe the average cut for Armageddon is 1.5 seconds, which is a very, very fast cutting ratio for yeah. the late 90s, you know? Um, so, and- that's, and a, that's a modern ratio, really. That's right. So, you know, yeah. and, and also, you know, the, the visual effects and particularly the, the way that things are lit, you know, with that Michael Bay gloss and shine was also something that, you know, wasn't really happening, you know, in 1998. Now, Bay, of course, came from- uh, you know the the music video world, uh, but he but he also shot some features, and I think you can see a real jump in his style. You know uh, between the Rock Bad Boys to Armageddon. You know he's he's really pushing it, and I feel like this movie is where he develops the Michael Bay definitive look. You know that he's really sort of stuck with. He was playing with it before, but this is like now this he's off the leash. You know. Yeah, he um he definitely solidified what his movies would be going forward, both in like almost tone, um, subject matter and visual style. Absolutely. Like if you if you look at like the future movies from here, a lot of them follow a same kind of like, okay, here's this ridiculous premise, here's it looking really, really good. The script and characters are secondary. Yeah. But I think as well, like here, there seems to be at least a reverence for a three-act structure and for progression that maybe perhaps falls by the wayside in his later movies. But look, th that's the technical stuff. You know, people aren't necessarily all interested in technical stuff in the same way that I am. So th the average Joe comes along to watch Armageddon and they're watching what is now, you know, a 22, 23-year-old film. What hasn't aged well, Ben? Um, S side plots. Um, so uh, the two things that caught me off guard in this movie, and, and for very different reasons, I forgot completely about the chick side plot. That's the character's name, isn't it? Chick, the guy? Yeah. And his wife. Like, yeah. It kind of that's, comes from nowhere. That's your daddy. <laughs> and it ends with kind of coming from nowhere. Like, like, we don't know why that happened. That feels like its own whole movie beside the point. Um, and then the second one, we brought up some upsetting things in the last podcast. I'll bring it up this podcast. Steve Buscemi's character and the implied subtext of his nature is upsetting. So he makes two jokes in this movie that caught me off guard. The first is on the oil rig when they come to get Bruce Willis's character and they're all FBI and stuff like that. And he's behind them and he oh, goes, that. Okay. Yeah. I swear I didn't know how old she was. Yeah, that's. And they have a callback to it later on when he's in the bar and they come to get me and he looks at her and goes, how old are you? Yeah. Yeah. That. So that's, it's, uh, it's, 
It's very 90s, that joke. Yeah, that, that joke is a joke that I feel at the time was being made a lot, you know, which yes. sort of just shows you how far the world has come, yeah. you know. Um, but at the same time, it is two throwaway moments to the point where when you were like, I didn't realize what they implied yeah. he, he was. I was like, what are you talking about? And then when they he said it, I'm caught, like, oh, They just yeah, caught me quite odd. That, and then, know? And then also Steve Buscemi character moment space dementia yeah i love look i love space dementia um so <laughs> uh I, I will i will say because i haven't said it out loud yet i did enjoy this movie yeah um like i i have serious problems with the science which we can get into if you like later on uh and michael clark duncan's character is an enigma um it's fa it's fantastic you know it's like beautiful it's like it's this really weird attempt to make a social commentary of like well you wouldn't expect him to be like this <laughs> look this he's a harley davidson riding cowboy loving african-american man and it's just i don't know i just weird. like i always forget like every time i watch this film which is more regularly than you um i always forget that owen wilson's in it and he is he is for no reason just fantastic in it like being like early owen wilson do you know what i mean like you know when they're just like just riffing on like who's han and who's chewy if they're going into space and then when he's like what's it gonna be like up there and then like they give him that huge speech about how it's like he's got scariest environment imaginable that's all you had to say scariest environment imaginable <laughs> like you know great love, great stuff i love it i love how his sole purpose was going to be like you're the same age as Ben Affleck's character. And like, th that's kind of like, they're going to be like a dichotomy here. And like, you're going to kind of back him up. But Owen Wilson still comes off as 30 years older than yeah. Ben Affleck's character <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> like, 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 how old are you meant to be? Like, um, my favorite moment in the whole film is the moment that gets played in every trailer and everything you ever see about Armageddon. And it's the whole, oh, and the boys never want to have to pay taxes again. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the hand on the screen, you know, no. her hand on the screen at the end. No. And it's like, uh, okay, okay. I love you, daddy. Like, you know. It's probably top three hand reach out on a surface <laughs> moments in film. You've got what? Titanic. Yeah. 90, 97, just a, a, a bare year earlier. Armageddon. And oh, what's the horror movie where it comes down the window? Oh, I can't think of it. I'll I think of it later. Don't worry. All right. You're not a horror movie person, so that's I'm not. not so we could be here all, all, all night yeah. trying to work that out. Yeah. So, okay. So, look, I find the whole middle portion of Armageddon quite humorous. Okay. So, I'm... I'm keen on the, you know, getting them ready to go into space and all of the training that they do and the riffing and the ad-libbing. Look, is it jingoistic and silly and make no sense? Yes, but it's also really fun, you know, like, and, and I, I, I just love all that stuff. I love all the training and, and, you know. I love that too. And what kind of blew my mind was at the end of all that training, at the end of them recruiting them all, at the end of they're just about to fly in the space, we're halfway through the film. I know, right? <laughs> halfway through the You've film. You've got another half of the film that is all asteroid. 
and all. Um, but it's not even name? it's not even just that, Peter Stormore. Um, but it's not even just that. It's like you think it's all asteroid, and then it's like, no, no, no. Let's have a detour on uh, a broken down Russian space station for like forty minutes. You know, my favorite character in the whole film. <laughs> This is he how we fix it. things on Russian space station. Yeah. He he gets it. But look, also, and look, because I've referenced that moment, which occurs at the very end of the film, you know, you said you had some science hang-ups. Um, space shuttles can't take off in space, but they can in this movie. <laughs> so there's a few things that are just the big ones. Hit me with your, remember. you know, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. DeGrasse Tyson? DeGrasse Tyson. DeGrasse Tyson's a high school. Um, right. He's the science DeGrasse. person. I don't know. Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Right. Um, so, for example, we, we mentioned at the start an asteroid the size of Texas. Yes. Um, the, the largest known planet killer that we currently know of is only seven kilometers in diameter. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's... That's so, so yeah. Also, there are things on that shuttle and the way they take off and land that science still hasn't figured out <laughs> in, in this world. Like you've re- like taking off in space and stuff like that. Just we, it's more advanced than what we currently have by far. Yeah. Um, the third thing is I actually spoke to somebody I work with and this is Providence who used to be an oil driller. Oh, really? Okay. He said the oil drilling scenes are actually pretty accurate. But the whole idea of drilling on an asteroid in space is just impossible. You just would have no idea what you were running into. You could never carry enough materials to do it. He goes, it's, it's just the, the craziest thing he even comprehended when he saw that movie. But Bruce but he Willis- said the stuff on Earth, pretty legit. Bruce Willis made a special drill bit. It was like his the government stole custom thing and the government stole it and couldn't read his manual to put it together. You know, like it's just how but that they rolls. They could put a Gatling gun on it. They could. And they did. And in fact, those like armadillo, like Walker things that they use both had Gatling guns on it. Why? Why? You know, I, I don't know why, like, but it was great. And look, the It evil- turned out to be useful twice. I know. Very useful. The evil Knievel canyon jump sequence. That's just, that's, it's, yeah, it's a thing of beauty. And look, I don't think we're going to ever see its ilk again, you know? (laughs) Like, yeah, it's just, there is some, like, there's some magic in this film by far. Um, Not to mention, we haven't brought it up yet. I think the most famous part of this film is its uh, best original song. Oh, Uh, magic. uh, uh, What is it? Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith? Don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to fall asleep. Oh, it's so good. So good. And was this the bit of trivia that you didn't know? What bit? That Steven Tyler is Liv Tyler's dad. No, no, I knew that. Oh, okay. But that's pretty cool because she's in it and he does a song and, you know. I did a little bit of research on this film, just much less than I did last week. But my favorite fact, my favorite fact, do you know how Bruce Willis came to be in this film? Yes, I do. But I'm happy to hear you tell it. <laughs> so I can't remember the exact details. It's been it's been a week or so since I read them. So do jump in and, and provide facts if you need to. But he was supposed to be in a film that got canceled. Well, he 
it, okay. It got cancelled. Well, he walked out on it. That's what happened. So, okay. Yeah. So, so Willis was in a film for Disney, okay, that was, uh, you know, supposed to be some sort of comedy. And it was halfway through production and he was like, this film is not very good and to the point where I'm quitting, okay? Now, he's still contractually obligated to uh, finish his work. So, to get out of his contract and basically tank the film... He agrees to film two films for Disney, okay? Um, Now, Disney at this time is going by Touchstone Pictures, which is a banner that they retired. But this is what Disney used to call themselves whenever they wanted to do something that was a little bit more adult or, you know, teenager-y in the live action world. So... Um, so, and the first film that uh, Willis has to do for Disney is Armageddon, you know? Um, and look, it's just, I'm just, I'm so glad he did, Ben. You know, um, I'm so glad he did. What was the second film? Um, he also had to do Unbreakable. And I think he ended up doing Sixth Sense as well. Okay. All for Sixth Touchdown. Sense was what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so look, the whole, the whole arrangement, um, Bruce Willis walking out on a film set was rewarded with three large hits for him. So, um, and look, it really told us what was to come with Bruce Willis yes, too it in did. the future. It did. So, uh, told us what we could expect, uh, you know, from, from this gentleman. So, um, look, it's also uh, a bit of trivia. Um, $20,000 was spent on Ben Affleck's teeth, uh, in this movie. Why? Okay. So Michael Bay loves to do hero shots from low angles, looking up at heroes and Ben Affleck, as you can see in our little promotional picture, you know, off to the, off, off to the side here. Um, Ben Affleck has that, that lovely hero jaw, but after filming for a few days, Bay said, Dude, it looks like you got little baby teeth in there and it looks horrible with these hero shots. So I'm going to send you to a Hollywood dentist. So he had five days worth of dental work and the production spent 20 grand on basically replacing all of Ben Affleck's teeth. with. So like got veneers or whatever. I don't know exactly what they did, but he got big manly Hollywood teeth, you know, which... Uh, <laughs> So that Bay some, could shoot him from those low angles that he so liked. Got some masculine teeth. He got some masculine teeth out of it. So, you know, that's pretty good. Like, I, I wish I got some teeth out of my, my job. So one of my secret goals in this podcast is to develop what I consider the rules to a successful movie. Okay. And I'm adding, I think, one of the rules to it from this movie. Hit me. And it's very simple rule. If it's got Keith David in it, you can watch it. Yeah. It's a good rule. That that guy is money in just about anything I watch. And I always forget about him until I see him. I'm like, it's Keith David. You know what Keith I Keith David's dope. You know what I hope we're watching next week? Pitch Black. You're never gonna guess it. Oh, oh. buddy. I wish we were, but we're not. <laughs> and I'm gonna and I'm gonna I'll save it for the end of the podcast. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm not this is supposed to be fun, Ben. Oh, oh it'll <laughs> it'll be fun. For you, right? But, not in the way you think it will be. Okay. So look, okay. So we, we do the first half of the film and we're earthbound. Okay. And we've got some hijinks happening. Um, and then the second half of the film, we're up in space and everything's getting a little wacky. Now it's the second half of the film. I think that really shines with the Hollywood gloss, you know, that uh, in terms of that look that we were talking about and the asteroid, as much as we're like, look, are there New York style steam vents on asteroids. I'm not sure. Do asteroids all look like this sort of, you know, 
wave glass situation. Um, I've been told that they do not. Um, however, it looks cool. Like it looks super cool, you know, and for a, for a movie about oil drillers, you know, drilling an asteroid in space, I, I buy it. You know, I buy it. it. It looks good. The asteroid stuff's all great. Yeah. I will, I will also point out explosions don't really happen in space. No. So, and apparently that was a known fact, you know, uh, yeah. oh. and Bay, Bay, I think there was a thing like someone asked him a question like, oh, what, why did you do the, like the science? He, he's like, I haven't wanted to. Yeah. He's like, like, I don't care. I think is his, yeah, he's like, I, it looks cool. Like, yeah, exactly. Rule of cool. Exactly. So, you know, so th- th- this is our man, Michael Bay. Um, we get to the end of the film and how do you feel about the emotional mano imano finale? Beautiful, but on the lead up to that finale, we do get a string of deaths. Yes. Now, I actually have a legitimate nitpick here, like okay. a, a criticism. The people that die mostly, I forget were in the film for a little bit. <laughs> Owen Wilson dies. Owen Wilson dies, but like there's like there's a few oil drillers you're like, we didn't really get to care about them enough for them to die. Like, and you just like, there's like, I see, I can't even remember the names. There was like the younger guy with a shaved or buzz crew cut haircut. He dies and you go like, okay, fair enough. And then like one of the astronauts dies. You're like, oh, we didn't really know him. The Mm. other two are the more interesting astronauts. True. And like, so like you get a whole bunch, you get a whole string of deaths and they're they're presented as meaningful, but you're like, they're not the ones I really liked. So it's cool. Like they were just the ones standing in the back of the drilling crew a lot of the time, or they had names and stuff, but yeah, I don't know. (laughs) But the whole like sacrifice at the end of the film, it is, it's a classic move, right? In literature and film and all that sort of stuff, but it is done with that kind of rock and roll aspect that only Bay and Aerosmith, um, (laughs) can really provide and it's it's why it's a meme like it's why this movie has become a meme in a lot of ways like her crying and hand on the screen him sacrificing himself for the guy he you know he raised like a son but hates because he's dating his daughter and it's this kind of like it is an emotional impact but it's more of a rock and roll emotional impact if that makes more sense Alex in the elevator, he's like, I love you, yeah. I love you, Harry. Yeah. You know, it's like, and look, Affleck has pretty much disowned this film, but Ben Affleck, not you, Ben, this film's great, you know, and yeah. I say that because I I've, think this film's fantastic, you know. I think I'm, I'm going to go on a limb here and say I've seen 99% of Ben Affleck's films. Yeah. This isn't in the bottom, this isn't in the bottom half of Ben yeah. Affleck films. <laughs> like, like I love and I mean, I love Kevin Smith and his movies. They're all below this. Yeah. <laughs> and he's in a bunch of them. Like, like, like they're definitely not the same quality as this movie. Like, but like, you look at Bay's choices as a director. And I said it before, is, is all about rule of cool. What, it's like, what would a 10 year old boy think is the raddest thing that could happen right now? Okay, we'll do that. Spinal tap it up to 11. (laughs) And like, we want lens flares, we want gloss, we want rock and roll at the background. Yeah, yeah. That's why he's a successful filmmaker. He 
he's an intelligent man. He's abrasive and not nice to a lot of people if you talk to him. But he's an intelligent man. He makes movies that people want to see. Like the average film goer won't usually pick a film based on a director, but the average film goer will pick a film based on a Michael Bay movie. It's true. Like, oh, Michael Bay's new movie's coming out? He does the things where things go boom and shiny <laughs> and awesome. <laughs> and like, and like, I don't have to think too hard because the plot's not complicated unless it's the island. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, so, I mean, I actually respect his place within cinema quite a lot. Yeah. Because it's not a film we get a lot of these days, really. Like we, the, the films these days are vastly either small independent films or sequels or series or like things like that. You don't get the big standalone blockbuster. And the reason for that um, little bit of film history, the, the 1990s was um, a time for Hollywood, which was known as the spec script boom. Um, so this was the period in time when um, you know, writers would make their name by penning an original work and then shopping that work to studios, you know, who would then uh, enter into a bidding war for this. Basically the opposite of what we have now, which is an IP war for things that already existed. This was instead of war for original uh, materials. So, um, so, and that's why we got so much daffy but cool stuff come out of the 90s, you know? It was people just saying, let's try this, let's try this, you know, um, and putting their own ideas for it. Now that said, um, there is controversy uh, in terms of originality between Armageddon and Deep Impact and exactly who uh, came first. Um, but at the end of the day, they are hugely different movies, um, you know. And to be honest, I think Armageddon's better, you know. I think it's better. Like Deep Impact's a different kind of film. Armageddon's um, more rewatchable. And that's what I think. I think Armageddon is just more entertaining than Deep Impact, you know? And Deep Impact isn't, you know, uh, scientific, scientifically well-rounded enough to sort of give it that edge over Armageddon. Yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't get its own niche, really. No. It's... Uh, because, like, yeah. So, any, uh, do you want to know some more trivia about Armageddon, Ben? I have, I actually have two questions and they're legit questions. Cause I don't, I don't know the answers to them. So in the credits and I've looked it up since in the IMDB and the Wikipedia, there's two credits in this film for adaption. How is this movie an adaption of something? So I, I think you're sort of straining my memory here, but I think it that says adaption by Tony Gilroy and Shane Slorano. Yeah, so I believe it was an, an, an adaptation of another screenplay. So, oh. um, you know, which, so then it had sort of multiple writers came on. So you'll see that, um, for instance, uh, I believe J.J. Abrams had a, who also has a writing credit on this movie. This was one of his first uh, big writing credits. So J.J. Abrams, um, uh, he did a, a more of a well-rounded draft of this film and then his sort of got lost in the mix as it got rewritten and rewritten and then Bay brought him back towards the end of the process um, to do a dialogue uh, polish, which, you know, he liked so much that he ended up getting a credit for as well. So, but it was sort of, he was rewriting a rewrite of his own work, you know, at some point in the past past so. so you can adapt a screenplay into another screenplay uh look the the arbitration rules around hollywood screenwriting are not something that i feel like i am an expert enough in because seriously 
Um, my understanding is that there are like lawyers who are actually trained in this who still just don't really know what's going on in that world, you know? Because, so- yeah, the reason I brought it up, because I think of adaptation of like, oh, it was a book or it was a video game or it was a, something else, like another piece of media, and it was adapted into a screenplay. So, yeah, that, that's why I was confused confused by the credit. Well, yeah, well, um, look, I'm, I was- not, I'm not convinced. Like I say, I'm going off memory. So, you know, if, if, if you know what the adaptation credit was for, Hit up the comments. That'd be great. You can do it. <laughs> you know, you can you can school us and we will thank you in a future podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also this isn't a um this isn't a question, but it, it is a, is something I found very interesting as well. Um, do you know what's written at the very end of the credits of this film? No. So you know how quite often you'll have things like no animals were harmed in the production of this film mm-hmm. or something like that? There is a disclaimer on this film as well. And I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm trying to find it just so I can get the exact wording for you. Cause it is mind boggling. Hang on, let me, uh, oh, where, sorry, sorry. Fam, 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 fam. I had it and I lost it. I had it and I lost it. Well, I'll tell you some trivia while you are actually, it. you know, looking for this fact. So yep. Liv Tyler was offered the role of Grace twice before she accepted it on the third time. The role at this point had already been turned down uh, by Robin Wright, uh, who had just said a straight up no to it. Um, And, you know, there really wasn't people queuing up to uh, take on this role. And this was pre-Love Story subplot because that was actually a late addition to the story. Do you know the original story was all about Harry and Truman, Billy Bob Thornton's NASA, um, you know, character. And they were sort of the co-leads of the film. The Ben Affleck character wasn't really a major part of it. And then after Titanic, who we've already talked about on this podcast, came out the previous year, they said, I think this, uh, I think this needs a love story to really sort of, you know, tie it together. And that's where the Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler of it all uh, entered the piece. So I kind of want to see that original film. <laughs> that sounds awesome, especially if it has the same special effects and stuff. So I found my thing. Okay. Ready? The National Aeronautics and Space Administration's cooperation and assistance does not reflect the contents of this film and the treatments of the characters directed there within. So basically they're saying, yeah, we helped. We don't endorse anything in this film. No. Um, and look, it was a, it was a hard sell um, for, uh, for NASA, but they did get unprecedented access to NASA facilities to shoot this film. Um, with the thought being that it would be a great uh, cross-promotional sort of recruiting tool for NASA and the U.S. Air Force, of course. They were trying to top gun it. Absolutely. They were absolutely trying to top gun it, you know. Um, and look, I think it pays off in terms of the visual look of the piece. So, um, but, but yeah, NASA may not have been thrilled with uh, all of the <laughs> uh, things that ended the other up on stuff. screen. The cool things. <laughs> why can't you just be cool, NASA? Yeah, why can't you be cool, NASA? Um, so 
Look, I think that sort of brings us in for a landing, uh, Ben, on the Armageddon experience. So, um, look, I think this film's a ton of fun. I think it's very flawed. I think it's a product of its time. Um, but I don't think it quite deserves the vitriol that comes its way. Um, as long as you can kind of, you know, take it with uh, a, a grain of salt and a bit of a smile on your face uh, as you look at this Daffy 90s action blockbuster. Here, here's <laughs> what I'll say about it as my wrap up. I think it deserves its bad critical consensus, but that's not a reason not to watch this movie. Yeah. Because it's actually, it's, it's, if you look at it in the strictest sense of the art form of cinema and how people would react to it and rate it and like critically receive it, no, it's not a great movie. Like it had like a record number of Razzies for a little while. But if you look at it as its whole and what it's trying to achieve, and I've, I've mentioned this a lot in real life with a lot of different bits of art, does it achieve what it sets out to achieve? 100% yes. It hits it like a bullseye. It sets out to make this bombastic, spectacular looking piece of explosion and space with Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis. <laughs> and, it, and it does a great job of that. And look, just like a lot of films we'll be talking about in the future and a lot of pieces of media, there are always going to be things in older films that don't quite fit today's morals or aesthetics or something like that. <laughs> but I actually look at that as a piece of interesting, like interest. Like that's not a reason to dislike the film. It's more of an, a, a history piece to go, that's what they were doing back then. Yeah. That's interesting. But as I said, great movie. Um, it gave me my Keith David rule, which <laughs> I think is an important rule. And it has one of the best theme songs of all time in I, cinema. I don't want to miss a thing, Ben. You know, I never want to miss a thing. <laughs> and speaking about not missing a thing. All right. I've got a, a couple of clues about next podcast movie. And sure. I want to see if you can, if you can get it off this clue. Right? All right. Okay. So the first clue I'm going to give you is the tagline on the movie poster. Okay. So this is what we're doing next. All right. And remember, I have no idea. So the tagline is slam evil. <gasps> I've got it. We've we're, actually, we've we're, talked about a connecting I, film in this. I know this what podcast. we're watching. We're watching. What are the, we watching? We're watching the phantom. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we're watching the phantom. Are Billy you, Zane. A Billy Zane. Yes. Are you, are you, proud that i got that off slam evil i'm pretty i thought there was a chance because it is a very kind of unique <laughs> tagline like as far as two simple words can be put together on a movie poster <sighs> it fits really well my next was going to be like kirsty swanson's in it and then treat williams and then i was going to like billy zane because like man as far as bad actors go, who are actually probably good actors, but just never made good choices, Billy Zane's my boy. I, I think, yeah, it's like, you know, you, you're bang on with that. You know, I don't know if you thought I would be excited for this film or not. I was, I was, I was, I didn't know. <laughs> I am so excited that I literally am thinking... I wonder if I can leave this room and put the Phantom on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just... The Phantom. It's not because it's good. Do you know no, what I mean? It's, it's like, honestly not. It's like anyone watching this, and you're going to watch along with us and watch The Phantom. This movie is more of a study in how did this movie get made the way it was made. Yeah. Now, The Phantom. Um, 
Uh, I mean, we'll talk about it next week, but my memory of The Phantom, and it's probably been actually 10 years since I've seen it. Oh, more for me. <laughs> is that The Phantom looks cheap and oh. it looks like it was filmed entirely on a soundstage to the point where it's like, was this deliberate? <laughs> I think the last time I saw this movie may have been in 1997, which was a year after it came out. Wow. Okay. And look, there are some dodgy visual effects. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. I cannot <laughs> I'm glad. wait. I'm so excited. I'm so glad. Well, look, that said, thank you for joining us for Armageddon. And um, I look forward to diving in to the story of the ghost who walks. In, yes, he does. In purple tight outfits in the jungle and stuff. With the- with a horse and a, a ring. With a horse and a ring and guns sometimes. Oh, yeah. that movie's a mess. I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week.